Hello and welcome again to worship. I'm very glad you're with us today in both auditoriums, in both the East and West Auditorium. As I'm recording this right now today, it's Saturday, the last Saturday of October. Leslie and I are in Israel with a group of friends, a group of people from First Christian Church, and we're visiting all different sites around the country. Today, we're at the Dead Sea. Behind me, you can see the Dead Sea. Uh, on, on that side over there is Jordan. That side over there is, uh, is the nation of Israel. And this has a very cool uh, understanding within Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture today. Psalm 46, I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn there right now. Throughout history, people who were trying to figure out how to do life and saying, okay, it's too busy, uh, and they were living in Jerusalem, whatever the case may be, in the, in the, in the villages around, they would come out here. We have stories of the what's, what's known as the early desert fathers in the first couple hundred years of the church's history. They'd come out here to the Judean hillsides and the Judean, frankly, wilderness, and they would get camped up in these mountains and these hills up, up behind me or in front of me, and they would uh, stay there sometimes for two or three, four years at a time saying, I want to hear God. I want to get my life so still that I would hear from God. We're doing that in your life, moving away from the town, moving out into the country, moving out into the places where you wouldn't visit with other people. Would that get you still before God? After all, isn't that the stillness? Of, it's not all the stuff forever, all the noises in our head, the conversations we have with ourselves. How do we get that still? That's what we're going to look at today as we uh, take a look at Psalm 46. I invite you to take your Bible, please, and let's turn there right now. Well, good morning again. It's very, very good to have you with us in both auditoriums, and it's good to be home from Israel. Um, thank you for caring for us and praying for us while we were gone. We had 33 people. Uh, lots of adventures, and uh, we'll, you'll hear about more, more about that in the days to come. Thanks for keeping up, by the way, with us. Um, we were quite stunned by the number of people who were watching the videos we were making on Facebook, and uh, we were expecting a couple dozen people, and it turned out thousands of people were watching, so it's good stuff. In the video that I recorded at the Dead Sea uh, last weekend, last Saturday, I indicated that the people of the ancient world, they're like you and me. Um, you know, they need a place of personal quiet from time to time, and they thought, if only I can get to a quiet place, then I'll hear from God. And as I was planning and thinking through our sermons uh, moving forward through the fall, back, back in the spring, actually, it occurred to me, you know, Christmas is coming, November and December. Uh, they are upon us, aren't they? And supposedly, they, those are the moments when family members are gathered closely and there's peace and quiet for all. But for many, it appears the holiday season is often anything but peaceful and quiet. Does that sound familiar to you? For some, the stress of the holidays makes them want to just wish, oh, can't we just get to January already? You know, it's, there's so much going on. And so what we're going to do over the next three weekends is we're going to take some time to prepare for the stress and the busyness of the holiday season and see if we get our arms around some ways in which to manage them now, some things we can learn now before all the stress of those days arrive. And uh, I want to start by repeating the questions that I raised in the video from the Dead Sea. Basically this, do peace and quiet require an escape from life routines? Or maybe another question would be this, how do you get peace and quiet, not just from the routines, but way down deep within you? The Desert Fathers would leave their, leave their homes for years at a time. They'd go out and live in caves in the desert, 
um, saying, well, if we don't interact with anybody else, sometimes they acted as hermits for years at a time, saying, well, if I can just get quiet, then I'll have peace in my soul. Is that what's required? If so, I don't know how we're all going to find enough caves. You know what I mean? So read with me in Psalm 46 what the psalmist had to say about this, okay? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then he lists some things that could be problematic. Therefore, we won't fear though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most holy dwells. The most high dwells, pardon me. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Here's what's the situation, he's saying. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. That's what's going on, but here's how he's understanding what's going on. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And then the psalmist concludes with this observation. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, I've got to say, I find it ironic that this would have been written right at 3,000 years ago, around about 1,000 B.C. And it's like he's writing about our contemporary times, isn't he? If you think about it. The struggles that we have regarding the stories of our own lives. Just think about what's taken place in our own nation that sort of parallels what this is. We've had hurricanes in the last few weeks, right? We had Hurricane Harvey. By the way, can I say in this matter, we, we were... You may recall we raised some funds to send through Darren and Dana Embry in Texas to care for the people in Houston. And I had hoped we'd raise around $5,000 for that endeavor. Can I tell you, friends, you in that endeavor gave more than $25,000 to that, and it's a ton of money. Thank you for that, and congratulations to that. By all means, yeah, good stuff. But we raised that money because of a crisis in, in Texas, right? And then it was just 10 days later, there was another hurricane in Florida, you may recall that. We had horrific fires in California. I mean, I've been reading about that in the last few days about the people trying to figure out, should we rebuild where the fires came through? What would you do? This is my property, but they say there's going to be another fire within the next 50 years. What am I going to do? Okay. Or we've had horrendous violence, the mass shooter in Las Vegas, 58 people killed in the space of about 10 minutes. Or just this week, some crazed man using a vehicle as a weapon, runs over people in a sidewalk, on a sidewalk in Manhattan and eight people are killed. Those events, when they take place, they shake our world, they disturb our peace. They disturb our peace. It's what the psalmist is describing. He says, I'm not going to fear, but I am aware that this happens. Therefore, we will not fear, but we are aware that the, that the earth gives way and the mountains will fall into the heart of the sea. We know about the waters roaring and foaming. The mountains quake with their surging. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. The earth melts. Apparently, the author knew all about struggle and stress. He knew about earthquakes and landslides. And if we have to be honest, those sorts of events are stressful. Of course they are. But in my experience, I can't say that I've really had a lot of earthquakes that have stressed me a whole lot, personally, because I've not been there when they've been that problematic. Um, 
I've been around. We've had tornadoes go through the city, but it's never impacted my house. And so surely they're problematic. And to say otherwise would require an approach that's very hard-hearted. I don't want to be that kind of foolish person. Hurricanes, tornadoes, they all bring stress. But usually, as my experience, it's the little things in life that seem to get to me. You know what I mean? Like, perhaps some of you, yesterday, you went down to the front, down the driveway to the sidewalk to collect the mail, three o'clock yesterday afternoon. You're walking back up the driveway and you notice, oh man, look at the cracks in the driveway that didn't used to be there. And now we're just about to go into this freezing and thawing cycle for the next four months. What's going to happen as they freeze and thaw independently of one another? Is one going to heave on top, of the, on top of the other? Am I going to have a problem come spring? You wonder about that, don't you? Some do, some don't. Some don't even pay attention. But, I get, you know, but for those who pay attention, it's a little bit of stress. For others, you're here today and you know that there's something has to change in regards to the kids' after-school care. You don't know what, you don't know what, just you know something has to be put in play, but you have no idea when or where or how much it's going to cost. If you're a student with us today, here it is. You know, the semester is really underway now. And... Uh, Teachers told you, professors told you, you know, back in August, there's going to be this, this, and this due, and it's all kind of come due in the next four to five weeks, and you didn't quite make enough preparation in September and October, and suddenly you go, man, I got so many pages to read, and I got all these projects and all these papers to write, and I'm okay right now, but I'm not going to be okay in five weeks from now. You get it. Can I, can I tell you what's got my goat of late? Garage door openers. Yep. Our garage has two doors. And we recently, about a year ago now, replaced the outdoor transmitter. You know the one that's up against the sidewall and you'll push the flip up and, the, and you push the buttons and the garage door goes up if you're not in your car, right? Well, it, it crashed. Whatever. I don't know. It, and so I, I bought a new one. And since then, I have spent hours hours upon hours on top of a ladder holding a reset button and messing with that thing and then the things that are on the, you know, the, the things at the top of the car on the visor you get those out and you mess with those and you get one work and then the rest don't work and we have two doors so it gets more complicated alright so those things, ah oh, it drives me nuts can I tell you what's happened of late we have we have three vehicles okay we have a car that Les drives and a car that I drive. And then we have an old pickup. It's, it's old and it's got rust in it, but it's great to have an old pickup. You know, it's not worth the money you could sell it for, if you will. You have to pay someone to take it. But it'd be really, it's really good to have, but it's in the garage as well, off to the side. And if I, I drive it about once every 10 days just to make sure the wheels go around, okay? Here's me of late with the pickup. Since that thing up there doesn't work, here's what I do. You come out of the laundry room, and you know what you do? You push the button on the wall, right? The garage door goes up very nicely. I get in the pickup. I back it out. I have to turn it off, put it in park. And then I got to go in the house and I have to make a decision. Am I going to push the button inside the garage door here and then go out through the, out through the front door? And No, I'm not going to do that. You know what real men do? They push the button and then they run. And as they run, they get lower and lower, but you have to make certain to get your leg 
over that silly beam, that light beam, you know what I mean? And it's like, ugh. And if you're lucky, you don't. Well, can I just, I got to tell you, I got a message from Dave Bomberger, my, okay? One of the doctors in our community, in our church. Good friend of mine, my physician for years. Hey, Wayne, I really enjoyed today's message. It's right after the 915 service. Psalm 46:10 has been a favorite of mine for years. By the way, great doctor, here we go. Is the cost of a service call from the overhead door company is a lot less than the cost of the care for a concussion. <laughs> or a torn meniscus, there you go, how you go there, as you race against a garage, a closing garage door. And I wrote, thanks for always being my doctor. And I'm never, never, never going to call those garage people. You know why? Because I'm the man and I'm going to fix this and I'll keep reading online. I'll spend more hours. But on the other hand, it is a point of quite stress. I, I, I wonder about the neighbors when they watch me every morning. <laughs> Maybe it's a metaphor for life at times. You get one thing fixed, one garage door opener fixed, and the other one doesn't work. You get one issue of life fixed and then something else falls apart. And I know it's not the nations are in an uproar when it comes to what's going on in my garage doors. But it's my life in an uproar. And I don't want it by any means indicate that struggles with life's gadgets are anything compared to the difficult moments of life that involve relationship breakdowns or people in our congregation that are facing very scary health problems right now. Garage doors, nothing compared to that. Or those um, in our church who have faced the loss of a, someone who they love dearly and trying to work through those kinds of stresses. It's significantly different. You know, all of us, you're like me. You'd like a little peace and quiet from time to time along with some garage door openers that work correctly. And we particularly like an answer to this question. How can peace and quiet invade our souls before the year-end rush comes? How can that happen? So the, the peace is the overarching, the, the kind of the overriding experience of our lives at the last few months of 2017 because sometimes just the, the tiny little things get under our skin day after day and we lose our peace. How can we, how can we fix that? Look again. Psalm chapter 46 Verse 6 says this. That what we're going to read is 6 and 7, and it's going to present us with a choice. A choice between the uproar of the nations and our life struggles or a fortress in God. Verse 6 says, The nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms are falling. But on the other hand, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here's your choice, according to Scripture. Either uproar, failing, falling stress, or a life place where God is in charge, protecting and caring and watching. Which one do you want to have? God is our fortress. I think we'd also want God to be our fortress, but I'm quite aware that in our contemporary culture, you know, we don't, we don't understand fortresses like the psalmist did some 3,000 years ago. The fortresses of the ancient world are foreign to us because when we think of protection, we think of radar systems and intercontinental, mis intercontinental missiles or very large guns mounted on ships that are miles out at sea. We don't think of a place that's built to withstand. You know, we don't have fortresses like that these days. Last week, as we were in Israel on Saturday, so a week ago yesterday, 
The group was visiting Masada. It was a fortress built by Herod the Great just a few decades before Jesus' birth. It rises some 1,300 feet up from the desert valley below. Maybe you know a little bit of its history. At one point, some 900 to 1,000 Jewish rebels rebelling against the Roman army took occupation up there. And they were there for a number of years, much to the chagrin of the Roman army. And so the army, uh, Roman army had a camp down below, and uh, they couldn't get up there. So in the, process, in the matter of about two or three months, using eight to 10,000 slaves, they built a ramp. You can see that earthen ramp that runs up to the top of that mountain, okay? They built that in two or three months. They put a track on it, and they put a battering ram on that track, and they ran that battering ram up against the fortress and gained access. It was too ironic to me last Saturday. Here's what happened. We arrived at Masada, and I said to the rest of the group, I, I need, I've got to preach next weekend. I've been up the top of Masada before. You guys go and take a couple hours up there, and I'll stay down here, and there's a little cafe down there, and I'm going to work on this message of Psalm 46 and make my preparations. And I'm reading along, and I read, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I got a fortress right in front of me. As a matter of fact, just to illustrate it, I, I took a photo from the cafe through the window. You can see the window panes, the, the, uh, the vertical lines there. Those are the window panes just to show you how high that fortress is there. But did you know that fortress got breached by the Romans? People of the ancient world built those fortresses like that to protect their lives. And the psalmist says, God is our fortress. That's a significantly different fortress than Masada. It's a fortress that cannot be penetrated. Here again what the psalmist says, come and see what the Lord has done. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And in light of all of that, of him being our fortress that cannot be penetrated, he says, be still and know that I am God. In other words, in the uproar of the nations, in the quaking of the mountains in our lives, they are stilled in the face of God's care and protection. We don't need a human-made fortress any longer. God is our shield and protector that can never be overrun by any occupying force like the Roman army or a crazy little gadget that doesn't work well, or a major crisis in your life regarding relationships or health. See, in the, in the, in the face of the blasting noise of stress, here's what we know. We can learn to be, to be quiet before God because Scripture states, be still. Be still and know that I am God. It really came home to me as I was working on this again on Saturday of last week. We got to the, we'd been at Masada and we were headed to the Dead Sea and I cut a video that brings it home to light. Would you watch the screens and uh, see what we can learn together? So here we are at the Dead Sea again. You know, this, this body of water, I believe it's 1,300 feet below sea level. At its deepest level, it goes down another 1,200 feet. You can't dive into it because it's so buoyant. There's nothing alive in there. It, it's so full of salt, about 30% of its, is, of its material is salt. You, you can't dive into it because the salt just pushes you back up to the surface. Nothing alive out here. So people would come out here and they'd say, well, if there's nothing else around me, then maybe then I can hear from God. I can get still before God. And they'd still go, mm, I have to wait another, I have to another wait another year or another year after that or another year after that, hoping to hear from God. Can I suggest, friends, it's not based on where we are, but the state of our soul. 
you could come out here where it's dead quiet and not hear from God. Isn't it possible you could also be in our largest metropolitan cities around the world? And if you get your soul right before God, then you can be still before God. See, friends, it's not based on your location, but more so based on the status of your soul. Let's talk about that for just a few moments. Yeah, that fellow on the screen there was saying the right thing. <laughs> they'd go out of the desert and they'd say, if we, the longer we stay here, then the more possibility that our souls will get quiet. And they'd wait for the quiet to invade them. But friends, physical location does not bring quietness in the face of stress. More so, the status of our souls before God brings peace. See, dealing with stress, whether it be the soon-coming holidays situations or the stress of wondering whether or not the cracks in your driveway are going to cause the driveway to go, you know, wonky in the next few months, or the stress of the needs of your family and the situations you face, dealing with all of those comes down to this. What's the position of your soul before God? Can you be still? Can you be still long enough to know that God is God? In other words, can you trust? Isn't it a matter of trust and belief to know that God is God? Scripture states, be still, and somehow in the process, you learn, you discover that God is God. And this God that you learn about is not a God who is stressed on the days when the mountains fall into the sea. This God is not a God who is faced one bit when the nations are in an uproar. This God offers peace because Scripture says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. This is the same God that says, be still before me and know that I am God. A bit of trust. But then, uh, frankly... I mean, I trust God, but I've come to this understanding, or this question, if you will. Do you have to trust God? Do you have to trust that God is God before the stillness comes? Or is it the other way around? Do you have to be still in order to experience God is God? I've got to tell you, friends, I've studied this for a long time, and I don't really know. I don't know which one comes first. I don't know if trust leads to stillness or stillness leads to trust. Apparently, they're interwoven. And it's hard for us in our culture and the way in which we've been raised because our, our, our contemporary culture always looks for lists of things to do. Tell me what to do so that I get to this product. Like, I want to make a lemon cake. So to make a lemon cake, I put this, 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 and this together in this order, and I do this, this, and this with it, and out comes a lemon cake. If I do that, that, and that, and that, I won't get a lemon cake, I'll get a chocolate cake. If I don't do this, this, and this, and this in the right order, then the cake is nowhere correct, and we end up with this gooey mess, right? And so we say, well, if I could do that with, my, with all my life and my Christian spirituality, this, 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 and this, and this is going to say... Well, you know what? Christian spirituality isn't set like that. It's not quite so preset. God works within each individual and in differing ways. For example, if you're a rush, rush, rush person, then perhaps you need to slow down to stillness in order to experience trust in God. But if you're a person who says, I trust God, and you're kind of so contemplative all the time, and you kind of end up, frankly, staring at your own navel, Maybe you need to say, well, it's not so much that I'm trusting God. I've got that figured out. But I need to be still in my mind. Not an emptying of yourself. We're not Buddhists who just say we want to empty of ourselves. No, we want, we want our minds to be renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Romans says to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
And if we do that, it says, then we know what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. See, I'm convinced of this, friends. Trust and stillness are interrelated like a mosaic. And in order to trust, you have to be still. And in order to be still, you have to trust. Either way, whichever comes more personally easier to you, start there and work towards the other. If you need to trust God more, then perhaps be, do that by moving towards stillness. If you need to have more stillness, then move by trusting God. I'm aware of this. 3,000 years old. This passage of scripture, which is powerful to me. The psalmist David says, I was young and now I am old. In other words, he's evaluated his life from beginning to the end now. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. There's a place for trust and there's a place for stillness. Big breath out. Know this. God is God. We're going to help you do that today. Uh, so if, if I may, I'd like you to look in your bulletin or uh, perhaps on the, in the, here in the west in the pew rack in front of you. If you're in the east, uh, there, there were some cards on the, on the chairs as you came in today. And uh, I want to give you an idea of what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes or so so you understand where the service is going, okay? A few minutes, I'm going to ask you to fill out that card. And... Uh, and while you're doing that, the worship team in both rooms are going to uh, present a song. It's not a song that you're going to sing along with them. This is a song that you can listen and hear while you're filling out this card. And then I want you to complete the card. And um, after you complete the card, I want you to put it in a place where you'll find it in a few months from now. I'd say in your Bible, but I would be hoping that if you put it in your Bible, you'd find it this week. But nonetheless, um, put it maybe in your Bible where, notice it's got today's date on it. November 4th, this weekend's date, November 4th and 5th. And for those who are really good at stillness, maybe you need to say, you need to spend a little bit of time I will trust God about. For those who are really good at trusting but not stillness, you need to say, I'll be still before God in the midst of these circumstances. Fill it out, and then see what God does in the weeks and months ahead. As you fill it out, I'd like to pray for you. And then after we spend some time thinking about this, I want you to pay attention to the screens because the screens will direct you as we move in, in, in four or five minutes into a time of communion. So uh, if you're serving communion, now's not the time to go. You'll see that come up on the screens. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that we've got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. All of us do, Lord. Um, Lord, it's not just the garage door openers. It's, just not the, it's not just the cracks in the driveway. It's stuff, frankly, that's often bigger than that. Oh, that may not be mountains falling into the sea, but it's matters of health and relationship and finances and um, responsibilities, time. We pack our calendars so full of, time, of things to do and yet we never seem to get ahead. Give us places and a mindset, God, most of all, a mindset where our spirits are still before you. And I pray right now, Lord, that over this building right now, that the peace of Christ would pour over each life like a soothing balm, like an ointment, God, 
filling in the cracks of our lives where there's stress, filling in the places, Lord, where that maybe no one else knows about through the work of your Spirit. Help us to put all those situations before you long before we get to Thanksgiving, long before we get to Christmas, so that when those events come along, Lord, these other things are settled before you. We'll lean into you really heavily, God. Ah, like sometimes as barely as if we could barely stand up. But we'll declare that we'll be still and know that you are God. We're learning that, God. We want to experience it today and in the weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.